Hi everyone, it's Joaquim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast. Podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In today's podcast episode, I have Derek Lau from Immutable talking about his journey into Web3 gaming and how they are building the blockchain game Guild of Guardians at Immutable. Guild of Guardians is a mobile RPG where players can turn their gaming passion into assets. Once launched, the game is a multiplayer fantasy action RPG where players build their dream team consisting of these guardians and then they compete in a guild to earn rewards. In this discussion, we talk about Derek's beliefs in crypto, why blockchain makes sense for the future of gaming, and what game developers could do to attract the masses into Web3 gaming. The dilemma at the heart of mobile gaming. Monetizing your great work while keeping gamers engaged and not distracted by intrusive ads. Well, our partners on this podcast have a very clever solution. Audiomob delivers in-game audio ads so that game developers can monetize their players without interrupting gameplay. Audio ads are better at retaining happy gamers than video ads and can actually work alongside video ads too. This is all the while having much higher CPMs than banner ads, up to 600% higher. AudioMob's Unity plugin is simple to set up. It can take just minutes, allowing complete privacy control, and you can even reward players for extra gratification. Simple, clever, and rewarding. Go to audiomob.com for details and to speak to the team. All right, we're recording. Hi, Derek. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. Good. We're going to have a lot of interesting topics to talk about. Like to kick things off, I wanted to ask you if you could share your origin story and how you made your way into Web3 gaming. So my story is pretty unique. I have been a big gamer my whole life, kind of played all types of games, but never thought about working in games. Kind of my background is more in strategy and business. I did my own startup for a while, a parking startup, which we ended up shutting down. I then did management consulting, advising different uh, C-suite executives for how to help run their business. And, and then in around 2017, I started getting into crypto. And at the end of 2017, that's when I discovered NFTs through something called CryptoKitties. You know, through CryptoKitties, I ended up having almost 100,000 transactions just on that. And so I got really deep into the space, you can imagine had different oh. scripts and things like that. And, and gaming with, with NFTs was kind of one of the hot topics for me back then that I, I got really interested in. Shortly after that, I got introduced to Immutable by someone who I'd worked with previously, and they thought I would be a good fit for them to help them figure out the question of how to add new games to the blockchain. And so I joined, ended up joining Immutable. And the first thing that we did was to try to answer the question of why do you need blockchain in a game? And it's it's a, <laughs> something you could discuss for a long time. And we did spend a long time trying to figure that question out and thinking about, well, what makes sense? And then after a while, we settled on what is now known as Guild of Guardians, which is a mobile team RPG. And so for the past two years or so, I've been working on building that out, building out the team for that. 
the game. And yeah, we've, we've now got a pretty, pretty big team behind it, pretty big community, and the game's looking looking good to it. going to be released this year. For the listeners, can you first, in your own words, introduce Immutable and then the project Guild of Guardians that you're working on? So Immutable is a startup and the mission of Immutable is to bring digital assets to the world via NFTs. So Immutable, you know, we're VC funded, we're, we recently raised 200 million and within Immutable, we have really two main business functions. We have something called Immutable X, which is a scaling solution that effectively lets any developer integrate blockchain into their games quite easily. And then on the other side, we have Immutable Studios, which is our gaming studio arm, where we create quality original content, so meaningful games that really showcase how Web3 can make games better. And so within that, I'm working on one of the flagship games called Guild of Guardians. I wanted to ask actually about Guild of Guardians. How did you pick that type of game to work on? It's a great question. The, the fundamental thing we looked at you know, there's a few layers. So first was we wanted to find a game where blockchain made the game better for players. And we didn't want to just copy an existing game, make some things tradable and call it a day. You know, we yeah. think that's that's totally valid and totally great, but it doesn't really use the full potential of what this thing is. And so for us, it was really trying to find a good fit between the audience, you know, the kind of people who play this these games and what how the game might change, the gameplay might change when things become tradable. And so the genre of game itself, and then trying to link those two things to also an area where we think we can win, right? Like a category where we can feasibly win as a team, as a company. And that ended up being the mobile team RPG genre. So if you think about the mobile team RPG genre, there are a few ways which, which we believe, you know, blockchain makes things better. So first of all, within, within the genre, players spend a lot of money. So like, I think in total, there's $6 billion spent each year in this genre. On average, the average player spends $200 to $300. So there's a lot of money being spent and these people are spending to, uh, a lot of the times to, to collect characters, to collect heroes that they want to play with. And so just purely having ownership of those already in, immediately becomes a value add. But I think it also doesn't stop there. So you know, in, in this kind of game, what's important is People like to build the dream team. They like to think about the strategy. You know, how, how are you going to level up your characters? Where are you going to spend your resources? How are you going to synergize between your equipment and your heroes and the abilities that they have? And I think this, this strategic thinking appeals to the kind of audience who would also enjoy the strategic thinking that, you, that, that happens when you add on an economy element. So the economy becomes another layer of strategy that actually engages with the same type of player who already enjoys this kind of game. In, in this title as well, the gacha mechanic is hated by many, but it's what is used to monetize. And actually, by having tradability, people can directly collect what they want, kind of their favorite hero or building out their roster or their entire collection without having to go through that painful gacha system as well. And then kind of the last thing for us is less on the blockchain part, but more generally, which is we're creating a game that's also quite social. The hint is in the name. So a lot of the, the focus of the game is around guilds and the social cooperation that is encouraged. And so we want players to make friendships when they play. 
to, to discuss strategies with other pain members in their guild, to think about how they might want to specialize and how they're interacting with other guilds in the economy. And so kind of the whole social aspect we think is also going to increase a lot of engagement and also build a lot of relationships for, for our players. Right. Hey, let's zoom out a bit, talk about blockchain gaming in general. Why do you think, like personally, that blockchain is such a great thing for, for gaming? I see blockchain as two things. First, it, it, it's, it's a tool, it's a technology. And it's, it's not like we could never enable trading before. It's been done before and people do it legally, illegally. But it's a tool. And, and what's unique about the technology is it has like two really unique properties, which is it's decentralized and it's secure. And these are things that haven't existed before. And these are the things that's actually unique about blockchain. Being decentralized means there's no single entity that controls it. Um, and this actually enables a lot of things that you can then do with the game because it's decentralized. If you think about it at any normal game, it's really hard to build a business around the game or, or do something because the game can always shut you down at any time, right? Even if, even if you, and then people try to do this and it happens, but being decentralized makes, makes that harder. And actually people end up being able to do things. Security is the other part. So blockchain is almost by definition, something that you can't hack. It's fraud proof. And that confidence is really what's needed to enable digital assets to thrive. Yes, you can store it on just a normal database, but you're relying on, you know, people, you're relying on technology that isn't secure. And so we want something that actually lasts for hundreds of years. And, and that's what blockchain is. So that's the first part. It's a tool. And the second part, I think, is it's also a philosophy. And, and this is where some of the divide is. The philosophy within blockchain is to be more open. It's a thinking, it's the general belief that we should empower and reward people who contribute to the game. You know, whether that's players, whether that's content creators, whether that's third-party developers, influencers, that's kind of the overall thesis. We should empower people to build on top of us and, and ultimately we'll get to a better outcome. And so I think that's also part of the thinking, which again can be done theoretically without blockchain, but it comes as part of the thesis and it's empowered further by its you know, properties of being decentralized and secure. Those are really excellent points. I, I think one thing that I'd like to add there that I've been in gaming for close to 20 years now, and there's always been new platforms coming up. Like we had like first the consoles, computers, then we got social gaming through like online sites like Facebook. And then, then we went to mobile. There's always been a platform owner, but now we're finally at the point where the free web is going to be the platform through Web3 gaming. So I think that's a big thing. Plus, yeah, yeah the, and just, you know, the opportunities are so vast compared to the previous platforms. So. Yeah, totally agree. I, I think there's, you know, there's going to be things that neither of us have thought about before that people end up doing with blockchain. You know, yeah. we're still at the very early stages where there's a lot of experimentation, learning, failure that's happening. Yeah, for sure. Hey, let's expand on the concept of bringing mainstream gamers into crypto gaming. What are some barriers that you can think of, like blockers out there, and what could game developers do about them? So at the highest level, I think there is a kind of cultural resistance to change here. And I think part of it is because of the notion that game developers are just trying to use the latest technology to make more money from players, which may have been, you know, what's happened previously with, um, with different monetization techniques. And so I think there's, there's actually a bit of a, an education and awareness 
that needs to happen. And this isn't something that a single game developer can solve. As much as we would like to, we can't solve this by ourselves. I think as an as a industry, I mean, and by industry, I mean the Web3 blockchain industry, like we need to demonstrate and really prove why blockchain makes sense in order to convince people. And, all, and, and people also need to you know, be a bit open-minded and, and use their imagination as to what is possible rather than what is happening right now. I think that, that awareness is a big one in, in the culture. I think as we start having more brands or individuals who have authority start saying that, hey, blockchain game is not too bad, that that's when some of that shift will start happening. When we see some of the AAA studios, more of them, you know, start entering in, you know, big influences or teams. The, the other parts I think is there's a almost like a user experience technology challenge. The nature of non-custodial wallets, which is what powers blockchain, is difficult to use. Like if, if I had to tell, explain the steps to someone of how they could buy an NFT, there would be a long list from starting with nothing. And so the, the UX challenge is actually a technology challenge. So it's not that we don't know what a good experience is. It's that we need to design something that works technologically with the underlying tech of blockchain. So that, that's kind of another, another barrier. And then I think as we see more proof points, so more really good games out there, that maybe don't emphasize NFTs as much, but just have it as part of the ecosystem, almost like a Trojan horse, so to speak. I think that's also kind of a, a driver of adoption. Yeah, I think the looking at the first generation of Web3 gaming, it's not targeted for, for mainstream audience. It's more about like people who are already been in crypto for, for years and who are looking at interesting projects. I think that's the audience. Then we go and expand to the play-to-earn audience also inside mm. the Gen 1. But it, it feels like Gen 2, that's that's already happening with a lot of startups who are coming from gaming to this space to try things out. Yeah. As an aside, I think we've seen $7 billion of blockchain gaming funding in the last two years. Mm. So just think about what experienced quality game developers can do with that and the experiences and games they can build bring to players with that. You have a founder background. Like if you'd be starting a Web3 game studio right now, what would be your approach in hiring the core team for that kind of studio? If Yeah, if I was starting a, a studio right now, I think starting with the idea, concept and strategy is, is really important. So what I mean by that is having a really good view of why you want to use blockchain, why it actually makes a difference, how it's going to apply for whatever experience or game that you want to create, and then being able to share that vision as well and, and how it's different to everything else that's out there. And, and I think using that, you would, would then build out a core team, people who share, like, this is just traditional finding good co-founders, I think. Like, you want really good co-founders who you trust to, to be with you on this, like, very challenging journey. And then soon after, I would actually go straight for funding. I think it's not too difficult to get funding, I would say, uh, right now. Maybe that'll change, but there's a lot of money being thrown around. Um, and if you can demonstrate the your idea, you can demonstrate your knowledge, you can demonstrate your experience with your team, I think that goes a long way. And then from there, you would kind of build out further and kind of do do the normal, normal game development processes. Another question regarding the, the kind of setting up a studio and setting things up. There's this new thing called the, the DAO. What are your thoughts on how DAOs are shaping 
gaming projects and gaming studios. Like, I guess the, the, the goal of a DAO is to decentralize decision making. So it's to have the people who are part of the network, usually they own tokens, they don't have to, but having them vote on certain decisions that govern the project. And there's a few forms, there's a few variations of this, right? So I think on one of the end of the spectrum, you can have people are just voting on stuff here and there, but it's very much curated by the project. On the other hand of the spectrum, you have full-on DAOs where, where the actual actions that are, people are taking to develop the game or market the game are also being done by people part of the DAO. I think the latter is very hard for games because what we'll find is that it's very hard to crowdsource good, you know, good anything in games, good game design, <laughs> creative direction, anything. And so I actually think the, the expertise of, that gaming studios have is very valuable and outsourcing to the DAO is quite difficult and it's also very difficult to operate um, and align incentives. However, I think over time we'll see more people over in the first model where projects still run everything as usual, but they start letting the community decide on more things that shape the game's direction. And I think that's something that we'll see more of. I'm sure we'll see more projects attempt the latter as well. I think it is hard and I think it is harder, not just from in terms of the quality of decisions, but also in terms of just running and operating that. Because technically there's no leader of a DAO. There's no CEO. It just breaks every rule you have of running a company. Do you think there's like a future for this model? When you're making these kind of creative entertainment products, like, or is it something we just brought along because we have all this stuff from, from crypto? I think it is, but it's going to require operations to be figured out, tooling to be figured out, incentives to be figured out. It's kind of like you have to figure out a whole new company operating model, which hasn't you know, done this well at scale quite yet. So it's going to be tough, I think. But eventually, I'm sure someone will figure it out and, and we'll see different versions of it. And, um, or maybe the game itself lends itself very well to that model. You know, the entire concept of the game is that it's made by everyone. And, and so that could work quite well in, in specific situations. Yeah, there's several startups doing experiments now by just starting things up and seeing what happens. And as long as there's learning shared, I, I think we'll figure it out. Then going to talk about Guild of Guardians, how long have you been working on the game right now? We've been on it for two to three years. Okay, so it's kind of like a, a big project. What have been the biggest learnings so far from making the game? Things that could be helpful for developers who are setting out to build Web3 gaming? A lot of learnings. There's probably three main ones that jump to mind. So the first is really understanding why blockchain matters. I think that the default thing that I see many teams doing is they're kind of just replicating a Web2 game and then making some stuff tradable. And I think that is, again, not really the best use of it. And, and, and coming up with a real reason why blockchain matters and understanding that, being able to communicate that, and having that shape the game's design and decisions. I think that's very valuable. The second one is understanding what are the different areas in which Web3 changes how you need to do something in Web2. And so a very simple example of this is tokens. A lot of games have tokens. A lot of games that are you know, in the early stages being developed about tokens and understanding how that changes how you set up the company, whether it's marketing, you know, your treasury, how does it integrate into your product team? I think those are 
very important. So understanding how your tradition, more traditional functions that you have, like, you know, UA, everything are, are changed as a result of blockchain. And I think the key different, the key areas are include areas like, the obvious ones include areas like the economy design, I think is very different. The community aspect is very different. Anything which touches the token is very different. You now have to think about like token buyers, which is a totally new audience. You're not only building just a game, but you're building a web product because a lot of the activities happen on the web, right? And so I think understanding how this changes, how you structure the team and what skill sets you need is going to be important. And then similarly to that point, I believe there is more complexity to building a Web3 game than there is a traditional game. And the main re- one of the main drivers of that is you have more audiences that you care about. You don't just have one target ideal audience, which you know, people who play a game at a, as a PC cafe or whatever it is. You actually end up having many different audiences who you need to, and you need to serve all of them in balance. You need to understand all of them. You need to build for all of them. And, and that's, you know, multiplies the amount of stuff that needs to be done. And so the, the third piece of advice I have is having a really clear view on where you're going to focus versus where you're not going to focus. Because I, I think it's going to be hard to be good at everything. And, and so having a clear view of what are the things that will really make a difference and make your game successful is going to be valuable. Really good ones. I, I wanted to ask a sort of like off-schedule question from you about uh, metrics and analytics. Have you already had those sort of event tracking systems implemented? What kind of KPIs you're talking about? Like, are there sort of some some fundamental ones that maybe people aren't thinking about uh, that that are going to matter? Yeah. So currently, Guild of Guardians is hasn't launched yet. What we've done is we released a demo of the game and and tested it. You know, got some pretty good metrics out of that. Uh, but it, this is something that we're thinking about, and I think. The metrics are similar and similar but different to what you usually would have. The first thing that jumps to mind would be retention. You know, retention is still very important. The game is very important, obviously, to, to whether it's going to be successful. But the, re- the retention metrics are going to be a little bit different because of how the economy works and the kind of players that that incentivizes to play the game. We've seen typically Web3 games have high retention on average because some, not everyone, some depending on how you structure it, some of your players We'll log in every day to try to get the rewards. And then I think the other elements to consider is around the like the economy. It becomes much more important. Sustainability in the economy. And so measuring things like what is the you know mint to burn ratio of or how how what is the supply and demand of NFTs. I think these economic metrics all of a sudden become important when historically they haven't. And then the other one is around measuring you know lifetime value or ROI. Typically, the, the, historically, what we've seen in, in NFT projects is the most effective way to sell something is to have limited supply. And so people will usually do a drop, you know, it'll sell out in 10 minutes, whatever it is. That makes it difficult to, to run ROI <laughs> when you have kind of a, that, that sales system. The other you know, challenge is a lot of the revenue for some games is going to come from the secondary market. So being able to link someone, a user you've brought on, you know, you don't care about whether they spent money on them, but you've cared that they spent money on another player, which actually gives us revenue, but also has directly helped another player sell an, an, an asset. So I think, you know, looking at the, the, the revenue, the lifetime value, these are things that, you know, are going to be important as well. Amazing stuff, man. Really cool. Let's talk about the, the guilds in Web3. There's, there's a lot of activity happening. When building a game with 
this guild activity in mind? What are some challenges and the opportunities that game developers should think about? So I guess just taking a step back, and maybe for those who aren't as familiar, so, so guilds in Web3 typically refer to an entity that invests in NFTs in a game, rents them out to players, and then shares in the revenue. Currently, we see mostly two types of guilds in the market. So the first type of guild is looking to make a return on their investment. So they're looking to buy assets for you know, X dollars, rent them out, and then generate more than X dollars. So that, that's kind of the first type of guild. The second type of guild is interesting. It's more of a VC model. So it's these guilds are still buying assets. They're still renting them out, but they don't care about making money from that necessarily. What they care about is they care about partnering with games and getting into deals. So getting private sales, getting token allocations, getting equity investments. And their pitch for getting those is, hey, look at the big guild we have, look at all the players we can bring to your game. And so those are the main two types of guilds that we see. In terms of the, the question, so challenges and opportunities, I think there's a massive opportunity. So if you look at guild fundraising, I think it's something like the top 20 guilds have fundraised over $500 million, probably more now. And together, if you look at the, the number of players that are in those guilds, there's, there's over a million. So, th and this is, you know, still early stages. There's a really big opportunity if you can tap into them well. I think that some of the, one of the big challenges for guilds is when your game is conducive to the first model of guilds. When you have guilds come into your game, they're super ROI driven and they buy assets and rent them out and they can eventually effectively also like crash the market of the game. You know, they could decide to one day sell everything and that could have a significant impact on, on the economy of the game, which has happened to before, right? And so I think, you know, thinking as a developer, thinking really carefully about who you're partnering with, how they've worked with other games, are they going to add value to your game? Are they looking to just extract or are they looking to actually add value and generate value together? Is are some of the things to think about. I think the VC model is so interesting because then you go into the, the realm of like, is the guild behaving? How are they behaving when they're involved with a game? All those dynamics go into play. And then like you, you basically have a brand that, that needs to be both good for gamers, good for the game developers. It's yeah. Interesting dynamics for sure. Yeah. And it's something not as many people think about as well. I think it's not as visible. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, before we go to the final questions, I wanted to ask you about marketing, like doing marketing for a web tree game. If, yep. if there is a term like growth hacking or that kind of mindsets that developers should have, is that the way to go? And what has worked for you guys with Guild of Guardians? Yes. So growth hacking is, I think, something that's definitely relevant for Web3 games. The way I think about it would be a little bit different, though. So really, what's a really valuable skill for developers is understanding mechanism design. And so that's understanding how you can use incentives to effectively program human behavior. That's what you're doing with your incentives, with your rewards, with your tokens, with your NFTs. These are incentives, and you want it to be such that players are doing something like doing A to get the reward. And by doing A, like A is adding value to the game in some way. And that adding value could be they're just playing and they're, they're you know, um, enjoying the game and they interact with other players. It could be they're sharing. It could be they're creating content. It could be, it could be they're investing, right? Adding liquidity. There's a lot of different things there, but understanding what you want to achieve and programming that into the incentives, I think is ultimately what the Web3 version of growth hacking is because as a game, as Guild of Guardians, we have 
hundreds of millions of tokens that we can give away. You know, this is a massive war chest that traditional games can't compete with. And, and we have this advantage where we can use it to try to incentivize different members of our audience to do different things and in a way that they actually want to do as well. So I think understanding mechanism design and how you can use that to market a game is, is super valuable. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you think that user acquisition, like performance marketing, like looking at return on ad spend, like how far are we from having that play out in, in Web3? I think we will, we will see that. So I think part of, web th- part of the Web3 thesis, I suppose, is that instead of spending a billion dollars on Facebook ads, you can spend a billion dollars on your community and they'll market the game better than Facebook can, right? And so in some sense, I think there's a potential that you don't do it because it's not as effective. I think we'll still see it because, you know, part of it is just going to be about pure ROI. And if you can bring in users via UA who have a positive ROI to ecosystem, you know, looking at LTV, looking at how much they spend, trade, contribute to the, the community, then you would do that as well. So on, some ha- on, on one hand, I think it's not going to be the, the primary driver potentially or the first thing people look at. On the, on the other hand, I think there's definitely going to be ways to crack that puzzle and it's going to be used to scale games massively. Yeah, that's so cool. Looking forward to seeing all these play out. Hey, Derek, let's go to the final questions. Do you have a favorite book or a book that you would recommend to people? So I really enjoyed a book called Cialdini's Principles of Influence. And it's a bit of a marketing book. It's a really good explanation of how do you convince someone to do something. And I think the reason I mention is because like marketing narrative is, is a really big part of Web3. I guess we didn't touch on this earlier, but like if you think about what drives a token value, like marketing is a big part of that. Narrative is a big part of that. And so like that, that's a good book to understand the fundamentals, I think, of that. And just say a yeah, classic read. You have a story that has shaped you and how you approach your work today. Early on in my career, I like one thing that, that stuck out with me, with me was when I received negative feedback after I did something. And I had thought I'd completely disagreed, you know, with the feedback um, that I received. And I think that this is something that really shaped me because I realized that the reason for that is because there's actually a difference between, you know, what I intend to do or what I actually did, like reality versus perception. What people perceive could be completely different to what happened in reality, but the perception is like still really important. And I think, you know, this has kind of shaped me personally, professionally, also in business as well, in terms of how I think about, how I think about things. So it's, it's not just reality that's super important. It's also perception. I think the, the cool thing about like social media is that you can put something out and you can really get like feedback, <laughs> immediate feedback on those things. I think it's, it's, you sort of learn from those moments a lot for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, as the last question, Derek, if there's developers out there, people who are curious about Immutable and Guild of Guardians and want to have a chat with you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? So the best way to get in contact with me would be to message me on Twitter. Maybe I can share my Twitter profile with you. You can link it in the in the description. But yeah, we're we're hiring massively as well. So if if you know anyone's super keen, passionate about Web three, and feel free to reach out. Got it. Amazing, Derek. This was so much fun to to talk about these things. I, I think we need to do this in a in a few years again to see where the industry is at and sort of 
talk about the, the changes. But yeah, thanks so much, man, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you move on, please remember to follow or subscribe to our show so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is live. See you next week. Bye-bye.